0: Before I introduce Pastor Jamie and Pastor Lita Leah today. I just uh I was just thinking about something very simple and basic. You know, Psalm 150 says, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. You know it's interesting, this COVID, this whole outbreak. If you break it down, it, it attacks the respiratory system. The people that really that it impacts it. When it gets to their respiratory, I mean, how many of you heard, man, don't let them put put you on a ventilator. I mean, it's like a death sentence. I'm not a doctor, don't claim to be, but I just, that must be because of the, I don't know, the panic of the pandemic. It's just, man, we we gotta fix the respiratory system. We gotta do something there. So I think that seems to be such a logical ability. It just seems to attack your respiratory system. And I understand this. I I believe there was a great atmosphere of praise and worship. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. And I believe heaven is calling for a praise out of the earth because I believe it not only establishes the throne of heaven, but it brings back an awareness of people. You know what? What good is breath, even healthy breath, if it does not exalt Jesus, does not exalt the Father? So I believe God is saying, listen, make your breath count, and I'll begin to change the atmosphere around you. So I believe that's one of the ways we're going to change and reverse this whole pandemic, is get my breath right, back in the right focus, back into the right direction. My praise Thank God that it supply, my breath supplies oxygen to my body. How many realize you stop breathing, you're in trouble? You stop praising, you're in trouble. So I'm going to get my breath right. I'm going to get my praise right, back in the right direction. And I believe that it establishes a... Fortress around you, around your home, around your city, around your region. How many believe a city could be COVID-free? A church could be COVID-free? You say, "Well, we've already had some people fall prey to COVID in this region." Well, do we just throw up our hands, throw in the towel, and quit? No, that's that's just all the more we've man we we're, we're, that means we've not reached that level of really getting keeping our praise focused, keep it focused. Amen, in Jesus' name. So with that, I just want to thank you for creating an atmosphere this morning for faith to be released, for God to establish his throne in this house today because I believe it sets an atmosphere for, you know, we have guests with us today, people who aren't normally in this house. I believe that blesses them and it gives them a great atmosphere to share the word and share what's on their heart today. But I just want to introduce them today. A lot of you know their story because you've been here several years, but I just want to reiterate today that they're back in Burundi, Bujumburi, Burundi. They were in Malawi for a while, but now they're back in Burundi. And just touching base with them today, I know some of the stats, but they oversee a network of a thousand churches. A thousand churches. Oh, hallelujah. That reminds me, it's a secular song, but Peter Gabriel says, In your eyes I see the doorway of a thousand churches. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever heard that song. In your eyes I see the doorway of a thousand churches. So we just are excited to have them today. They're going to share more about the details of what's going on today. They feed 350 people a day. And with COVID, it's really brought a lot of pressure, brought a lot of, you know, it just, it just, it's, it's no respecter of nations, people, it's brought different levels of attack, and I'm sure they'll talk about that today, but with a New Harvest Church realization of how they're connected to this house, how they're connected to this ministry, I want you to stand on your feet today and let's welcome them today. Pastor Jamie's going to come first. Share some things. Pastor Leah then is gonna to come today. So come on, folks, lift your voice, lift a shout this today.
1: Oh, hallelujah. Are you happy to be in church this morning? Come on, let's give Jesus the best praise offering we've given him this morning. Let's praise him. Hallelujah. I'll not be silenced. <laughs> hey, praise the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, pastors, for that. Introduction and those words of encouragement. I, I I concur, and I say yes and amen. The devil's trying to take our voice away, but he's defeated. We're going to keep praising him, no matter what the circumstances say. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. It's God's will that we praise the Lord. The enemy wants to take that out. He wants to take us out. He wants to silence us. But as the song said. I'll not be silent. Thank you for sharing that this morning and for the awesome worship. Thank you for having us again here in Cluiston. Our roots, uh, you know, are here in this area. My wife and I uh, grew up. She was born and raised uh, uh, for a number of years. We won't hold it against her up in New York. And I was... (laughs) I was born in Texas, but raised here in the South Florida area since the fourth grade. And so, of course, my parents, Tom and Marian Peters, have pastored the church over in Lake Worth, Trinity Church International, since the early 70s. I grew up here, met my wife there and the church. We got married in 1984 and moved to Africa in 1987 and been loving every minute of it. We have four kids. Two grandkids. Somebody said if I knew grandkids were going to be that good, I would have had them first. And uh, we're encouraging those kids to keep having grandkids. And uh, that's probably the hardest part of this. What God's called us to do is we do miss our kids, but God gives grace. And he gives us moments like this. Uh, this coming week, we're going to go and we're going to spoil them in Disney World. Pray for us, Disney World in September, it's going to be hotter than you know what, but God, hallelujah, and his grace is sufficient, but we're so looking forward to spending a few days with the kids and grandkids, and then the next weekend, the next Saturday on the 18th, we fly back home, fly back to Africa, back to Bujumbura, Burundi, and that will mean we'll have been in the States this time two months. And uh, we, we've needed it. We've, been, we've, we've needed some time out. You know, sometimes they say sometimes you got to get out of the forest and see the trees. And so we've been able to get out of Dodge, as it were, for a few days or a couple of months. But uh, I tell you what, we're, we're, we're ready and raring to get back. Hallelujah. Thank you for having us this morning. So appreciate the opportunity to be here again. Um, if you're visiting this morning, I encourage you to come back. Please do not judge this church. On my wife and I, <laughs> if we mess things up, he'll be here next week to straighten it all out. But uh, thank you, pastors Chuck and Karen, for allowing us the privilege and for trusting us to be here and to share. I tell you, this is a holy, this is holy ground up here. Not because it's a platform, but because God's presence is here in this place, and for Him to open up the church and allow us to be here, especially when He's not here. I think you must trust us maybe. I I think so. And so we so appreciate that, and we don't count it lightly. Thank you, New Harvest Church, for your heart and your vision for the nations. You know, you're, you're not content just to come in here on Sunday morning, hear a little message, and go home, but I believe your heart is for nations. This is a nation's church, and you have a vision and a heart For the harvest, New Harvest Church. I love that name. So thank you for your vision, your heart, for nations, for your community, for the state of Florida, America, and the world. And God will reward you. For God so loved the world that he gave. gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The heart of God is for nations. His vision is for people. Jesus didn't die for brick and mortar. Jesus died for people. And so wherever there is a vision and a heart for people, God shows up. And so we're so grateful to you and your heart for the harvest, for nations. You know, unfortunately, churches like this are becoming a rare breed in America. But thank God you have something precious here. You've noticed that, you've embraced that, and you're jealous for it. And you will fight for it, and God will give you the desires of your hearts yes. as you pursue his heart. And his heart is for nations, for people. Um, I just I, I, You must have been prophesying, prophesying my brother. I appreciate that, overseeing a network of 1,000 churches. We're working on it. We're not there, but we're going to get there in Jesus' name. That is our vision, to plant 1,000 churches on the continent of Africa, and uh, we are working on it. God has helped us, and we're headed somewhere. We're believing we will plant 1,000 churches in Africa, and this has been what we have been contending for for a number of years, we have actually 15 that we've planted. We got two more in the works. Trust by the end of the year, we'll have 17 churches. But really, the thing that's kind of slowed the process down, I believe, is leadership. Jesus said the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. So we're working on the laborers' side of that with a leadership academy that we're going to launch in 2022 next year so that we can up our game in the area of planting churches. You know, a 1,000 churches mean a 1,000 pastors. <laughs> and so that's the rub, but thank God he is helping us, and he will help us. So as we're pressing forward in the vision God's given us, we believe we will have 1,000 churches, and this Leadership Academy will be key to that. And we're also very involved in the community. Yes, feeding about 350 children in Malawi. But recently we've launched another feeding program in Burundi. My wife will talk more about these things and give you the real numbers. Um, About 450 uh, in Burundi we we, we have begun to feed. And, uh, you know, uh, mostly mostly children, but some uh, elderly people, vulnerable, Uh, you know, Burundi. Burundi is the second poorest nation in the world. And so we have lots of opportunity. And when somebody says they're hungry, they mean it. But thank God we are there by his grace, by divine appointment, to not only give the word of God, but to feed the hungry and to preach Jesus. And so my wife will come in a moment and talk more about that. But, you know, it's at the heart and center of it all. Is to preach Jesus, and where our church is in Bujumbura, Burundi, in an area called Buyenzi. Buyenzi is a predominantly Muslim area of about 80 percent of Buyenzi is Muslim, and the Muslims, I'm telling you, God has given us a heart for Muslims. Jesus loves the Muslims. They're not our enemy. Jesus died for the Muslims, and. God has allowed us to be right there in the center of it all. We're there, about 80% of Buenzi is Muslim. And we're organized a team, and every Thursday we go door to door in Buenzi, a neighborhood of about 9,000 homes. For about a year and a half now, we've been doing it. We're about halfway done. So we've already been to about 4,500 homes. We're going to go to another 4,500 homes. If they're not home, uh, we we give them a track. We pass it under the door so when they get home, they can read about Jesus, that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So we're going door to door telling people about Jesus. And, yes, the Muslims are getting saved. And we have seen in Buyenzi 1,000, I know I've been recording it, 1,662 people have gotten born again. They've come to Jesus over this period of a year and a half. So keep us in prayers. You know, when you go into the enemy's territory like that, you know, sometimes you sort of feel like you're in the lion's den. But God, just like he has delivered Daniel, he has and he is and he will continue to deliver us. And we're so excited that we get to take Jesus to the Muslims yes. in Bujumbura, in the area there called Buyenzi. Yes. But uh, this morning, if you would allow me to, I'd just like to share some thoughts to you. My wife and I, I'll share for a few moments, and then she'll come and share for a few moments. We'll tag team. But the title of what we're wanting to talk about this morning is just—it's just real simple. One more. Can you say one more? One more, that's all, just one more. And in Acts chapter 28, verse 1 up to verse 10, it says this. Acts chapter 28, verse 1, we'll read up to verse 10. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature and to the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In that region, there was an estate, of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed. And he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided us such things as were necessary. I love this story. Paul's on his way to Rome. He's in a ship with 275 other passengers aboard ship. Of course, a storm came up. I mean, hurricane, we know about hurricanes in Florida. It would imply it was that type of weather system. And it was looking bleak for, well, several days. People began to lose hope, thinking, okay, this is the end for all of us. But the angel of the Lord revealed himself to Paul, told Paul, Paul, relax, you're going to be okay. The ship's going to sink, but you're going to survive. And all those with you on the boat, not one of them is going to die. So Paul took the word of the Lord to all those aboard ship. He preached the gospel. He said, look, guys, we're going to be okay. We're going to survive. The boat's going to go down, but not one of us is going to perish. It would imply that Paul not only prayed for himself but prayed for those he was traveling with. Come on now. Oh, God save me. God deliver me. Yeah, but what about all 275 other souls aboard ship? Paul didn't just have a vision and a heart for himself. God bless me. God prosper me. God save me. God deliver me. But God bless, prosper, and save all those aboard ship with me. Must have been praying and interceding because the angel of the Lord said, God has sent me to tell you you're going to be okay, and all those with you, you're all going to be okay. And sure enough, the boat went down, but they all survived. They all lived. 276 people aboard ship, not one perished. That's pretty amazing. I would say that's pretty supernatural, isn't it? I mean, that's some supernatural praying. God not only delivered him, but all 275 fellow passengers aboard ship because he prayed for them. He interceded for them. My friend, that is supernatural. Uh, And then it says, Paul, you know, he and those with him that he was traveling with found themselves on an island called Malta. And because of the rain, because of the cold, it says, They decided to build a fire, warm themselves, and Paul being the man of God, the servant leader that he was, he didn't just sit back and say, okay, I'm the bishop here, I'm the the great apostle Paul here, y'all go and collect all the firewood. No, Paul got out in the rain, in the cold, looking for firewood, and in the process, a snake came out and bit him, and there it is just hanging off his arm, but... Something supernatural took place. Paul didn't die, he didn't even swell up. He just shook the thing off into the fire and kept collecting firewood. We see Paul going from one supernatural occurrence to another. Then it says that Paul heard, the leading citizen of the island was, his father was sick with fever and dysentery. Paul sought him out, laid hands on him and God healed him. Then everybody else on the island heard, hey, the man of God is here. Let's go go see what God is doing. And they all went out and found Paul and he prayed for them too. And the whole island was healed. (laughs) Anybody with COVID was healed. Anybody with AIDS was healed. Anybody who was crippled or blind was healed. I mean, there was a city, white or Island-wide revival that took place on the island of Malta. What we see is that Paul is going from one supernatural occurrence to the other. Why is that? Why did God use him that way? Because Paul's life was about serving others. Whether it was collecting firewood or praying for the sick, praying for those who needed a touch from God, whatever it was, he was busy serving others. He lived his life to serve others. And as a result, the supernatural was a natural way of life for him. I like to say it this way, serving others is the key that opens the door to the supernatural in our lives. Yes, pray and fast, but in the process, it's all about serving others. Why are you praying and why are you fasting? For a bigger boat, a new car? No, it's so that those traveling with you on this journey called life might be saved, might be healed, might be delivered. Oh, hallelujah. At the heart of it all should be to serve others. And that's when you'll see the supernatural begin to take place in you and through you. Jesus said it this way When you go, he didn't say if you go. When you go, preach, say. When you go to serve others, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. Cast out devils, raise the dead, freely you have received. Now, freely give away. You see, it's in our going that God does the doing. In our going, God shows up and he does the doing. Because God anoints those who will go. I will anoint those who will go preach saying. You know, you don't need the anointing just to sit on the bench or to sit in the pew. He anoints those who go. When you go preach saying, I will anoint you so that he, God, through you will do the doing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't need the anointing to sit on the pew. We don't need the anointing to sit on the bench. We don't need the anointing to sit in our chair. We need the anointing to go forth and do the works of God. And when we go, he will anoint us, and he in and through us will do the doing. Serving others is the key that opens the door to the supernatural in our lives. How many have ever seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah, what a movie. You know, it's a true story based on the life of a man by Desmond Doss who served in World War II, and he was a believer. Very strong believer, had some strong convictions. His whole thing was to serve his nation to serve others. His personal conviction was not to ever use a gun, to even handle a gun. And I'm not here to preach for or against gun rights because we're in Cluiston this morning, so I know better than that. Might not get out the back door if I stay. Anyways, praise the Lord. That's not the point here. The point is he has some strong convictions. And his convictions were he wouldn't, ever use a gun or even fire a gun or even handle a gun? Well, normally, you wouldn't join the military, right? If you're not going to use a gun. But he said, no, I said, I'm going I'm to serve my fellow soldiers. I'm going to serve my nation as a medic. They said, but no, you have to have a gun. You got to at least be able to defend yourself. He said, no, he said, he said, no, and, and it almost got him convicted, uh, sorry, uh, court martialed. Yes. Had a court martial, they had a, 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 a jury, a deal where he had to go before the, his commanders and explain why. And it almost got him locked in jail, but he said, no. He said, no. He said, no. He said I, I've joined the military and I want to serve my nation as a medic. And at the end of the day, they agreed. It was tough going there for a while. But finally, they agreed, and Desmond Dawson, his platoon, the first thing they had to do when they finished boot camp was go and take an area called Hacksaw Ridge. It was a ridge about 300 feet up in the air on an island called Okinawa in the Pacific. The Japanese had embedded in the caves up on this ridge. So they climbed the ridge up to try to take this area of the island, strategic in their battle of the Pacific. Well, the Japanese had embedded in the caves there, and as they climbed this ridge, immediately they came under fire, and it was intense, so intense that they had to retreat. Well, Desmond Dawson's whole thing was, I've joined the military so I can serve, so I can be a medic. But now, all the guys with the guns are retreating. So he had a moment. He said, well, Lord, what do you want? Me? And then in the movie, they're showing, he's praying. He's saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? This is why I've come. But there was nobody there but the wounded. All the guys with the guns had fled or they had retreated. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? And all of a sudden, after he prayed these, that simple prayer, He heard off in the distance in in the night. He heard somebody yell, medic. He said, okay, Lord, I hear you. And he went out to look for the wounded by himself with no gun. And he began to find wounded soldiers and he would tie a rope around them and lower them over the ledge, lower them over this ridge called Hacksaw Ridge one after one. And in fact, throughout the course of the night, he had to take refuge in the caves where the Japanese had embedded. And he found himself, without knowing, right next to a wounded Japanese soldier. What did he do? He treated him too. What does the Bible say? Love your enemies. And so if it's okay, I have a short clip from the movie I'd like to show you this morning. If uh, the media folks could just go ahead and show this just real short clip from the movie, but notice what Desmond Dahl says in the process. Be quiet. Just be quiet. Hold still now. I got you. Hold tight. There you go. Try now. Try now. I thought I was blind. blind. Keep it down. Can you walk? Hello. We
0: gotta get out of here. me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fix you up.
1: Our vision, our hope, our desire as we serve in Africa, and I trust it's yours as well, is please, Lord, help me get one more. In our situation there in Burundi, whether we're collecting firewood, and we, like the Apostle Paul, he was out collecting firewood, we have to go collect the firewood for our feeding program. We have to have cooking fuel. So you'll, you'll see my wife, she's driving through the city, and they're cutting trees, and she'll say, Make good firewood. We're out collecting firewood, so whether it's by collecting firewood or praying for the sick, as the apostle Paul here on the island, he prays for the leading citizens, father, and all those who were sick. We have a, a program, a feeding program, into the hospital where we go in to the hospital because in Burundi the hospitals don't feed the patients, so they could if they don't die of disease; they could die of malnutrition, I mean, it's it's bad, and families are supposed to feed their relatives, but often they can't. They can't afford it, or or they just don't have the means, uh, or they just, they just, for whatever reason, they don't. So we go in, and we, as a church, we pull our resources together, and once a month, we go in and feed the patients in the hospital, and with every plate of rice and beans, we tell them, Jesus loves you. And we're telling them about Jesus and preaching Jesus and And every time we'll have 30 and 40 and 50 people saved. A week ago Saturday, they had our hospital outreach while we were here in the States. And they went and they fed and they preached Jesus. And 36 people gave their lives to Jesus. Our hope, our desire, our vision whether it's by collecting firewood or praying for the sick, whether it's by running a feeding program or planting churches or maybe starting schools, and my wife will come in a moment and talk about schools, or winning the lost and discipling them, is to serve others with a goal to get one more. Yes, yes, the Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll close here. My wife will come up in just a second, but 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 And verse 22, 1 Corinthians 9, 19, 22 says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I have become, watch this, all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some, or in other words, that I might get one more. Like Desmond Doss, they're on Hacksaw Ridge. I might not be able to save them all, but I can save some. You might not be able to save them all, but you can save some. As my wife comes up on the platform now, would you please just raise a hand to the Lord and say, Lord, help me get one more.
2: devil does anything and everything that he can to keep us from going after one more. That's what he does. You saw Desmond Doss up there. Did it look convenient for him to be there? It was at great personal cost. I saw his hands there. That probably wasn't even the whole story. What he went through just to get to that ridge, he went through, I was thinking about this just now in the front row, he went through near court martial his name being sullied and dirtied to follow his convictions. He went through so much just to get there where he put his own life at risk to get one more. Seventy-five people were saved that day just by him going after one more. And that's what I learned in the process of doing what we do. Why one is the question. Because today, and I think it's been this way always in society, People are looking for bigger. They're looking for better. They're looking for flashier. They're looking, we got to be known in the community for what we do. We don't have to be known. Jesus has to be known. If they never say our name, that's fine. And I've learned, you know, what we're, we're really good at saying stuff like, well, you know, I'll even just do the toilets. <laughs> really? Go do them. God will call us on that. He will give us the opportunity to follow through with those cute little sayings that we say in order to reveal what's in our hearts. Because God already knows what's in our heart. Sometimes we need to know what's in our hearts. Because the wrappings of this world get us so tied up that we really don't even know what's going on inside of us personally. You know, and I would ask myself when we went over, to Africa. Why one? Because when I first landed in Kalemi Zaire in 1987 with a one and a half year old on my lap, and I got out of the plane, and I looked on the runway, and the runway was a dilapidated piece of cement in the middle of sand where there were burned out tanks on the side of the runway, and machine guns also pointing at the runway. I said, what in the world am I doing here? Why am I here and what can I do? And I wasn't there but two or three weeks. And I was the only young mother there among a small group of missionaries. Didn't speak a lick of the language. Didn't know anything. People think you're going to go to be a missionary. Your first three to five years on the field are spent learning language and culture. You don't know nothing when you first go out there. You can have degrees coming out your ear, but until you're stuck there, you don't know what you're doing. And I didn't know what I was doing. And our senior missionary, Shirley Hagemeyer, the most wonderful senior missionary on the planet, said to me, on Thursdays, the poor are going to come to your door, and they're going to ask you for something. You just give them what you have. And I'm like, what do I have? (laughs) Didn't have two nickels to rub together myself. And when they came to our door on Thursday, all I could come – up with was filling empty cans empty tin cans with either beans or rice or sugar or whatever i had in the house and they were grateful to me it wouldn't have meant much but to that one yeah. it meant that that day their tummy would be full Amen. and i've heard people say well that's not you know going to last very long well let me come back at you with this if you had a migraine And you could have one pill that would take away that pain for one hour, you would take it, wouldn't you? So if we give a plate of something to someone who will relieve their hunger for one hour, it's something to that one. We would do well to remember that we, me, I'm one. You're one. And I've learned over the years that if I'm faithful with the one, God will give me another And then one by one, one becomes many. And we love to reach out to the one. When uh, we moved to Zaire, we learned about the one, as God was teaching us about how much he loved us, the one. But we began planting churches in 1992 when we moved to Bujumbura. And again, there's no manual. (laughs) You know, you you go to Bible school or you go to whatever school you're going to, but there's no manual for life, really, is there? I don't know what you train to do or what you've learned to do or what business you run or what job you do. People try to tell you to expect this, that, and the other, but until you actually do it, you really don't know what you're doing. Isn't that true? People say, oh, I want to have 10 kids. I say, well, have one. <laughs> then we'll see. Hey, and, so, and so we uh, got to Bujumbura and we planted this church. I had no idea what I was doing. I still don't know what we're doing. And we just kind of try to do from day to day what God puts before us and hope somehow we're scratching the surface of what we're supposed to do, try to be faithful with that. But I remember we went there and I was overwhelmed just at the thought of planning a church in a culture in a language that is not my own, trying not to make the church American, Trying to just win people to Jesus, and all of a sudden war came to the country. Nobody ever teaches you how to do anything, really, because when war comes, how do you plant a church in a war? How do you help people in a war? How do you help people to have faith in a war when you feel like you want to run too? Somebody comes to you and say, "What do I do? They were shooting out my door last night." I said, "Let's just pray. Maybe we pray." Maybe we read the Bible. And so that's how we kind of managed in the beginning. And then the war, as it moves around in a country, at first it's really scary. And after a while, unfortunately, you become callous to it. And unfortunately, actually, it might be the grace of God because you just live. And so the war would move around in the country. It's not like war sweeps the whole country in a day. It goes from place to place to place. It moves around. And so what happened was people began to be separated from one another, and internal refugees, internal displaced people would run from their villages, run from their cities, and gather in places like schools, um, government buildings, where they would set up makeshift camps. And I began feeding, and the church began feeding. I didn't have anything. I had a big pot from when my parents owned a bakery that we had brought over with us in a container. It was a really big pot, and I... Told the few ladies that I had in church with me, I have kids, and what really got me was that my kids at home eat, and the kids in the camps don't. Why are my kids different from theirs? That was the question that I had. I said, well, I don't have much. I have this big pot. I can buy some porridge mix. And so that's what we did. And people gave firewood. People brought spoons. I mean, we all just did what we could. and." Feeding 10 became 20, 20 became 30, until we were feeding 1,500 a day. And it all began with just giving what we had, which was a pot, a spoon, and we put them on some rocks and put the firewood under it. You don't need a lot to do the work of God. You just use what you have. You don't need a building to start a church. People say, well, I'm not going to plant church until I have a building, I have a sound system, I have this, I have that, I have insurance, I have it. Just go. Everything else comes later. You wish it would come sooner, but... (laughs) Anyway, so we started feeding, and in the process, we noticed there were a lot of kids on the street, which was a new phenomenon in Bujumbura. Burundians are extremely um, private people. They're the private people of Africa, you know. They just internalize everything. I had a, a missionary doctor once tell me the number one surgery he does in Burundi at that time, or it did in Burundi at that time, was on ulcers, stomach ulcers, bleeding stomach ulcers, because everybody just holds everything in. But kids were just getting displaced and running out on the streets, because they would be in their villages or at schools, when, and the war would come, and they'd be separated from family, and they'd run to the city for refuge and for food. And so we opened up, in addition to feeding these 1,500, we opened up a street kids' center where we started feeding the kids and trying to integrate them back into society, trying to find their homes. And so at one point we were having about 100 kids there at the center and there was one out of the kids. There was one little boy. His name was Claude. Claude was about eight. He was the sweetest thing. And he had been separated from his family up in the mountains behind the city. And he was too young to really know exactly where he came from, we got them integrated into our little group of kids, and we were feeding them, trying to get them back into school. You know what happens to people when they live on the street? They almost forget. These kids were forgetting. They forgot their families. They forgot what it was like to live in a group of people. They forget to brush their teeth. They didn't know how to do their, comb their hair anymore, take baths and showers. So all those things we started to do again and got them back into school. And we're doing that with Claude, and we're looking. We were tracing families and finding families. And it was hard. It was hard work. And we weren't always successful, but we were sometimes. And we were trying to find Claude's family. And one day, I noticed on the bottom of his, or in the middle of his calf on his right leg, there was a swelling. And we assumed him some kind of infection. So we sent him to the Adventist clinic, where I had, a, where I had an account where I'd send sick people and pray at the end of the month I'd have money to pay it. We did. But there were some close moments. Anyway, Claude, we sent him there. And they, the doctor said, this is an abscess. Threw some antibiotics at it. But after two or three courses of anab- different antibiotics, it didn't respond. So um, we sent him to another doctor. I think it was at the military hospital at that time, if I remember correctly. And they did a biopsy. They opened up the leg and did a biopsy. And they sent it off. Well, they didn't know that he had cancer. And in opening up the leg like that, it just something happened, and the cancer just fired through his body. They um, amputated his leg about a week or two later, but it was too late. The cancer had gone everywhere. And in Burundi, we don't have anything. Even today, there's very little available to anyone who has cancer. So Claude suffered, and we still kept looking for his family. And there was no painkillers. There's not morphine. There's not the little bits of painkiller that they are, they're reserved for the important people, so we couldn't get him any. And Claude was fading fast, but we found his family finally, his mom. We found his mom, thankfully. And Claude died. Claude died. That's one that I'll never forget. You know, you never know who, um, who you're touching and what the effect will be until you get into eternity. Sometimes as believers, we, have, we forget that life is happening all around us. And this, if, any, if we've learned anything in the, in the developed, developing world in Africa, is that God is still good, yes. the devil is bad, yeah. and when bad happens, God is still good. Is. And you keep working. What's the alternative? Thank you. What's the alternative? Sit down and feel sorry for ourselves? If the devil's coming after me, I'm going to go after him with everything that's in me. Because you know what? Sudden death, sudden glory. There is no defeat for the Christian. And the moment we stop fearing for our lives and we understand that our life is hidden with Christ in God, we will do wonders. And we'll see wonderful things happen because you are immortal, as Jamelia said, until your work is finished. And if the devil takes out some of us, then God will raise up seven more because you cannot defeat us. We've seen, all of us have seen death, especially we see it over there, you know, when COVID came around, we kind of, you know, well. I've got, let's add that to the list. There's typhus, there's typhoid, there's meningitis, there's dysentery, there's malaria. Across the border, we have Ebola. So we were kind of used to the hand-washing stations and all of that already. And they just say, well, there's COVID. And we're like, oh, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll wash hands a little more. We won't, One of the nicest things is not shaking hands because <laughs> over there, we don't have running water in much of the country. So people are... Their hands are unwashed all the time. So now you're like, hallelujah, glory to God. (laughs) Bless you. Everybody's like, whew. And that's a huge cultural no-no, not shaking hands. But anyway, that's what we're facing over there. And we've seen a lot of death over the years, and we've understood that. But what has come from this is a greater determination. And I think the developed world, Europe, the United States, have come to that realization now. We've been so blessed in this nation. And now the devil is trying to hit us hard. But you know what? This can be our finest hour. Don't be afraid. This could be our finest hour. This is an opportunity to do something for this world that they need to see the love of God. They need to see not the ugliness of this and that and the other and everybody getting mad. This is an opportunity to do something for Jesus. Hallelujah. Something that can mean something to someone, and that one can meet the Lord. But you'll find one in the middle of trouble. And in Malawi, I found another one. In Malawi, we began that feeding project that you heard Jamie talk about just now. In 2007, on American Thanksgiving Day, we started a feeding outreach. I had a ladies' uh, cell group, home group meeting in a village called Msiliza and we noticed how hungry the kids were. And again, I thought, my kids have thr- have a meal at home waiting for them, or a sandwich, if I'm too tired. Go get a sandwich. What makes these children different from my own? So we started the same way, with just a pot on a rock with some firewood underneath it that we found along the side of the road. And it's true, when I see some wood on the side of the road. I'm saying find out if somebody's willing to sell that or give it to us to away, give it away to us cuz we need that. But we started this hope center and at the time we were feeding 800 children there. Right now we're feeding 200, 350 because what COVID has done to us is, is the same that I'm seeing here especially with construction material here, inflation. And we have we can't feed the same number that we used to before because our budget can't accommodate that many anymore. But I'm believing God. Yeah. <laughs> it's good, Those numbers will go back up again. But we, were fe- we formed a feeding team. And the one that touched me there came in the form of one of our ladies. We had a f- team of six, between six and eight, who fed every day, Monday to Friday. And one of them, there, her name was Mama Machawa. And she was called Mama Machawa because the child she carried on her back, the little girl she carried on her back, her name was Machawa. So she was Mama Machawa. Just like I am Mama Tom, Mama Mandy, Mama Steve, and Mama Andrea. So she was carrying Machawa on her back. She was Mama Machawa. And Machawa was um, severely disabled. Don't really know what she had, but she was severely physically and developmentally disabled, but we all loved her so much. And we would all dote on her. She was probably seven or eight years old, but was about the size of a four or five year old. She was very small. And Mama Machawa would often miss her shift because she would take Machawa to the clinic because she was sick often. She was frail. And one day, Mama Machawa hadn't been at feeding for a couple days, and I sent word. I said, find out what's going on, and we found out Machawa had died. And We were all devastated. It was kind of strange that she hadn't sent word to us. So I said to the ladies, after we finish our shift today, let's all go down. Because in Africa, if there's something we know how to do, we know how to comfort one another. And if there is a death, the entire village shows up. Everybody shows up. In Africa, it's real different. You don't have to call and say, can I come? In Africa, you are expected to come. And if you don't show up, did you see they didn't? Why didn't they show up, you know? So very different. That's the culture. So we all went, and it was strange because there was no one in the house. We walked into Mama Machawa's room. It was a mud brick room, and on the window there was no window, just a piece of cloth, a torn piece of cloth, same for the door. And I walked in, and there was no one in the room with her, nobody outside, and on the mud floor with no furniture in the room was Mama Machawa sitting on the floor with the baby bo- baby's body rolled up in a reed mat so strange. I was like, why is no one here? And I found out why, because her husband beat her and anyone who tried to take anything from them. Hence, he had drunk away all of the money that they used for the house. That's why they had no furniture. That's why they had nothing. And I knew that Machawa needed to be buried. There's no morgue. It was a matter of, the body's going to decompose in a bit. We've got to bury this child, but she had no money to get the child even to the funeral plot or to the cemetery. She had no money for a casket. And how could you leave money when you knew that this guy was going to come back and take it from her and beat her for it? But we had a hero that day. And everybody needs this kind of person in their life. On my team, she's still there, we have a lady named Loveness. And nobody says no to Loveness. Nobody. And I looked at Loveness, and I said, Loveness, can you take care of this for me? This baby needs a proper burial in a casket at the cemetery. And she said, yes, I'll take care of it. And we got Machawa buried that day. And that's another one that I'll never forget. Mama Machawa still comes and is part of our feeding team to this day. And we still call her Mama Machawa. She's she's one. A more recent one. Crossed our paths this past year in Burundi. Is this okay? A more recent one crossed our paths this year in Burundi. There's been a lot of ones, but these are some ones that I treasure. And this one happened during this COVID crisis. Um, and what happened was with us in Burundi, when COVID came, the borders were shut. You can't shut down a country like Burundi because people live from day to day, from meal to meal. And if they don't do their little businesses, they don't eat. So the government, and I think wisely, out of necessity, couldn't shut everything anything down, but shut the borders and shut the airport. And that prevented food coming in easily, prevented fuel from coming in easily, and medications, and all the things that you need just for society to survive. And at that time, what happened as well, we live on the lake shores of Lake Tanganyika. The longest lake in the world, the second or th- in the world, the second deepest in the world. And there's four countries that border this lake. and we've had two heavy, heavy rainy seasons. I don't know why, but it's like the heavens have opened and the seasons have changed and we don't have the same rains as we used to. and the, the lake and all the communities around the lake have been affected. thousands of people, you know people will live by the lake to to go fishing to It's easier to live near a water source because you you don't have to haul water. So that's the reason for people living around the lake. Well, the lake has risen six feet. Not six inches, six feet. We have a major road in Bujumbura that has been closed because the lake has overtaken it. And we have thousands, tens of thousands of people displaced because the lake has swallowed up their villages. And people will go in canoes to try to find their goods, anything that they can find in their flooded houses. You can see their, maybe their grass roof is sticking up out of the water, and they'll try to see if anything's floated to the top, and they'll get attacked by hippos and crocodiles. This is true. I didn't make that up. You can't make that stuff up. You'll go. To our feeding site, our Hope Center, that I'm just about to tell you about, is located in the area, in the region where the floods are. We haven't been flooded out, but we come and we hear stories of so-and-so went, check on their goods and they were killed by a crocodile. You can't make it up. But a more recent one crossed our path during this COVID crisis. We began to raise money to feed 200 families, very um, impoverished families due to the flooding. They were already poor, but then when you take them, get them flooded out, they had nowhere to go. So they got plastic and they made tented camps. And I've been in Africa a long time. I've been in Africa, lived in places of war. I've been there in poverty. This is like something I had never seen before. And, and it's not in the news, I don't know why, other than we're not in an important place of the world. We're important in God's eyes, but we're in a very unimportant place of the world as the world sees it. Anyway, we began to raise money for 200 impoverished families. There's a lot of widows in, in Burundi, a lot of widows. So the criteria was to be orphans, widows, the disabled so we found 200 families that fit that criteria. We gave them good quantities of food for six months. And on our first feed, we'd get, we handed out dry rations because it was just impossible at that time. We hadn't opened fully. We were just still trying to refurbish the Hope Center, which is at a church campus that we have. We would call the families in, preach Jesus, pray for them, and send them home with their food. And in the first day that we were, feed, that we were doing this, there was a very frail, sick-looking woman in the back of the, of the rows. We set the chairs out in rows, and she was shaking uncontrollably. I mean, she, I'm not exaggerating. She was drooling. She couldn't control herself. And I looked, and I asked some of our helpers, and I said, what is this lady doing? And they said, no, she's what's the matter? She's sick. They said, yeah, she's just like that. I said, she doesn't need to sit here and wait. Get a bicycle taxi. We do not have Uber we have bicycles that are taxis. So this is how some people make a living. They run a bicycle taxi. So I got two bicycle taxis, one for her and one for her food. And I sent her back to her tent. Turns out I asked about her. She um, was 60 years old, looked much older at the time, uh, had two granddaughters living with her, 14 and 16, I believe. And her family had kicked her out because she got sick, couldn't care for her. And they said, take these two granddaughters with you. They'll help you. Kind of like reversal of roles. How? Why are children taking care of the grandmother when the grandmother still should be well enough to take care of the children? Anyway, it was a very sad situation. Said, no, this can't happen. It's like God put his finger on that one. And we sent her to the hospital. And long, 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 long story short, she has a form of Parkinson's. So we got her some medication. And the shaking stopped shaking stopped. Her name's Dahlia. She has a name. That one has a name. Can you show Dahlia's picture? Can you show Dahlia's picture for me? There, he, there she is. That's Dahlia. Dahlia now, we helped her. We, we, we were able to raise money and now Dahlia's medications which are $35 a month which is more than a month's salary in Burundi. Those have been taken care of for as long as she's on this earth. Hallelujah. And now we started her in a little business. She's not you know she's not strong enough to do anything heavy. but we bought her some charcoal, we bought her some little fruits and vegetables and got her started, gave her a little bit of capital. She's now selling her own things. She's got a little boutique going. She m- makes her way to church herself. She pays her rent. She, her kids, the grandkids are going to school. They're buying their own notebooks, all because that one. God put his finger on that one. The one story doesn't always have what we think is a happy ending. But there's a happy ending. And her granddaughters are having a happy ending. The story of Burundi right now is that before the pandemic, over 50% of the nation was food insecure. Now, since the pandemic, 65% of the nation is food insecure. The country is starving, people are hungry as my husband said, Burundi is the second poorest nation in the world behind the Central African Republic. Number three is the Democratic Republic of Congo. Number five is Malawi. So our churches are in the poorest regions of the world. So for every person you see, there's one or two that are hungry. And they're not hungry like our kids. You know, this is what I tell my daughter. Um, By the way, she's normally here with us, our fourth daughter, Andrea. You know, the bonus baby? She's, she's the cream on top of the cake. She's like, the, the first three say, why didn't you te- treat us that way? So because you're not Andrea. <laughs> Andrea's our, our baby from Malawi. We adopted her when she was three months old. She's 13 now, but she's been sick this week. Uh, we were in the emergency room twice this week, once even last night. She had a ruptured cyst bleed into her abdomen, but she's OK. Yesterday, she was not feeling well at all because she's a horrible patient. I don't want to drink anything. You're dehydrated. So we had to take her to the emergency room to get some fluids in her. And I I threatened her. I said, you know, any time you refuse to take a drink, I'll just take you down for another needle in your arm. No, no, I'll be drinking. I'll be drinking. (laughs) So she's doing well. She's much better. She should be fine in a few days, but pray for Andrea. But in Africa, we're in the poorest regions of the world, and so the people are hungry, and it's not like Andrea or your children or grandchildren when they say, I'm hungry. You say, okay, well, there's an apple there in the fruit bowl. They say, I don't want an apple. I'm not hungry for an apple. I want a honey bun. That's my daughter. She loves honey buns. Um, That's not the kind of hunger I'm talking about. Hunger where you have not eaten for days. Anything. Anything. So true hunger. True hunger. That's the kind of hunger we are facing. And so in Burundi, God has blessed, and we've been able to open up a second hope center, like the one in Malawi, where we're feeding 450 people a day, Monday through Friday. But because of inflation, because of the COVID crisis causing this already difficult situation to be made worse, um, we're really, we really struggled. But every month we've been able to feed. We've been able to feed. We have water cuts. We have water on property. We even have a a water tank. God is blessed. But then when the water's cut and the tank is dry after three days, we have to send out by bicycle to get water to the site, and it costs $7 a day, and that's not in the budget. Thank God it looks like God has provided a a well for us. It's going to take some time, but pray for us that that comes to pass because without water, you can't cook. Without water, you can't cook. Why? Why go through all this hassle like Desmond Doss? Why go through all this hassle just for someone like Dahlia? Because it's one more. And once upon a time, I was one more. Once upon a time, somebody bothered to take their time out for me. And that person was my aunt. She took time out of her schedule to look out for me for one more. In, in Burundi, also, we have um, we have plans, hopefully. Pray for us. We're going to start a school at the Hope Center. Because the key to the middle ca- class in Africa is education. And if people can be kept poor and illiterate, they can be kept poor and voiceless. So we believe God is going to enable us to start a school. Right next to us, we got a property for sale that has a house on it, and it's never flooded. I bet you next time I'm here, I'm going to tell you that we bought that property. I bet you next time I, I'm here, I'm going to tell you we got a school going there. How is it going to happen? I don't know. You know, when I look back and you think about, I look at, I remember we first started coming here to New Harvest, and you weren't in this building. You were in a storefront. How did you get here? I, you probably would say, well, I really, I really don't know how we got here. It's the same with us. How do we do what we do? I really don't know. But we do. God does it. He does it somehow. So we're going to open a school at the Hope Center, and also in Malawi, we have two existing schools. We have a preschool at our Hope Center for the young ones, youngest ones, and then we have a primary school at one of our at the main campus in the country. <laughs> Believing God, this in the coming year, we're going to build a new block to add three more classrooms to add 75 more students to our school. Believe with us because that 75 students represents 75 one mores. 75 one more. Is. The scripture that the Lord gave to me in all of this comes from Isaiah chapter 21, verses 14 and 15. Bring water for the thirsty. Meet the fugitive with bread, for they have fled from the swords, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow and from the press of battle. Like I said a few minutes ago, this could be our finest hour. Instead of fearing, what if could happen to me? What if we do something for God? Put the energy from fearing into the energy of working. Because that's wasted energy. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So the choice not to be afraid is ours. Is it scary? Yes. Is it Scary going out into the unknown? Yes. Do you do your best to keep from getting sick? Yes. But you know what? What's the alternative? Living in fear? That's no alternative. That's a a certain way to live in depression. That's a certain way to not fulfill your destiny. If the devil is going to attack us, then let's attack back. Why not? Because our eternity and our future is secure. Ephesians chapter 1 talks about us, and I didn't write the exact reference down, down my, my walking concordance, my husband. All you got to do is ask him about where does it say in the Bible. He'll go, I think you'll look in Haggai chapter 2, verse 17, somewhere around there. You'll find that, and you'll open it and say, dang, you knew the exact verse. But it says in Ephesians chapter 1 about us that in the ages to come, we will be with him, reigning in life. So this is temporary. This is not all that there is. This is just a little portion of the ages to come that we're going to be with him. And you know what? The pandemic is not the end of the day. Because I think we can all see the signs of the times. And when that when that thing starts to roll out, there ain't nothing going to stop it. And I'm happy to see it, because I keep my eyes up, as should you. But at the same time, Reinhard Bonnke said, how long, was asked, how long can it be? Because the scriptures as Paul wrote, beloved, we're living in the last hour. Reinhard Bonnke was asked, how long can the last hour last? It's the last hour for anyone who's standing at the precipice on the edges of eternity without Jesus. And our job, yeah, we're looking up at the sky because our redemption's drawing near, and I'm ready. But is your neighbor ready? Why don't you go look for just one more? God bless you.
1: I'd like to pray for you this morning that the Lord would just continue to stir our hearts for one more. For one more. If you would, just maybe stand with your feet and let me just pray over you this morning before, I don't know, Mark, maybe it was going to come back or whoever, but let me just pray. Um, my wife, she'll join me here. We'll take hands and we'll just pray over you this morning for that that, that, that God would just seal this word in every heart and in every life. Father, we thank you for this wonderful church. We thank you, Lord, that the name of the church speaks of harvest. Lord, that's your heart, heart for nations, heart for just one more. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son for one more. So, Lord, we just speak over this congregation a yes and an amen, that the word of the Lord might be fulfilled, Lord, in each and every one of us. As we leave, Lord, this property this morning, we're all going into our own mission field. Lord, our mission field for us is Africa. Africa. But for those who live in Clueston, Lord, it's Clewiston. For those who live in Bell Glade, Lord, in this county, Lord, that, that is their mission field. Lord, none of us are exempt from having a mission field. So, Lord, we just pray as we leave here today that we would remember that we're going into our mission field for one more. Lord, we might not be able to save them all, but God we can save some. By your grace, as we go, Lord, you will do the doing in us and through us. For one more, Lord, that people might be healed, that they might be fed. Lord, they might be saved, they might be delivered. For Lord Jesus, you have anointed your church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to be your hands, to be your feet in our communities. So Lord, we just speak a word over this congregation that God, that you would accomplish and fulfill. Thank you for Pastor Chuck, Lord, and the staff, and all those, Lord, who labor in this area of the world. Lord, we thank you that you've raised them up, New Harvest Church, for such a time as this. Lord, we just speak a blessing, a supernatural blessing, Lord. Over this congregation, over your pastors and elders and staff, and everyone who calls New Harvest Church their church. Strengthen them, encourage them, bless them, Lord. May it be so, Lord, what's been spoken and declared today. Lord, we will not be silent. Lord, we will go out. We will find just one more. We'll minister, Lord, as you enable us to one more. We'll open our mouth. We'll speak words of hope, words of love, words of life. And then after that one, Lord, we'll find another one. And then after that, one, Lord, another one. Lord, we just thank you. you've, You've anointed us, Lord, to be your hands, to be your feet, to look for one more and to bring hope to the hopeless, life to the lifeless, those without life, the lifeless, and to minister, Lord, to those you bring across our path. Father, we thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen
0: and amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's give a big hand to Pastors Jamie and Leah this morning. Thank you for being here. You can be seated. I want our ushers to get ready. We're going to receive a, one more offering for them. You know, I'm just, before they even started, was just humbled by their passion to get back home to this. And you would say, wow, that's, <laughs> you would think they would uh, want a couple more weeks away. But they're hungry to get back because they've, adopted a philosophy and they've learned something that that's where it's at, that's where it's at, one more, being in the atmosphere, being in the environment reaching one more is what drives me and what gives me the most fulfillment and pleasure and I'm just amazed today as you're getting your offering ready, I know a lot of you just want to honor them honor the work that they're doing and just be a part of that. But I'm amazed today, you know, in America, you just see such a dichotomy. Just some of the things she talked about are just a million miles, literally, a million miles away from our concept of what we think life is. You know? And... It makes you think who the real superstars of the kingdom are gonna be when it's all, when we are in eternity. I think there are gonna be names like, just like from Hacksaw Ridge, Desmond Doss, people like that that you've never heard of. I don't think Desmond Doss made that movie about himself. He did not. This will make a good movie. My life story will make a good movie. But I think there's gonna be some heroes in the kingdom that Jesus brings forward to say, this is, you've probably never heard of them. May have never, you know, you say Bujumburi Burundi. You think you're speaking in tongues. It's that (laughs) unfamiliar to us. But it's a million miles away. It could be from people from places you've never heard of. But I'm just thankful for the relationship that we have with this house and each other because it gives us an opportunity to expand our world a little bit and see what, because when you see a challenge like that just to provide food for someone, it opens up a whole new arena of resource for heaven to come in and begin to fulfill something. I guarantee you today you will not pray, God, please give me lunch. I I don't think there's any person in this place today, Lord, let somebody. I need food today. We We don't even pray along those lines. But when you're exposed to such poverty, such depravity, you open up a whole new resource. I'm telling you, there's a whole, there's a resource. You've got to learn to tap into that. So, the greater the need, the greater the resource that's applied to us. So, I want you to stand to your feet today and just lift your offering today. We're going to bring it up front today, but I want us to do something before we bring our seed. I want us to just, I want you to stretch your hands towards them today. We just do this out of people that we're in relationship with. We just. As a point of contact and connection. Not necessarily for them, you know. It's not, Lord, we're blessing them. But it's almost a two-way street. Lord, let me be connected. Let me let me let me just somehow through today's message, let my eyes be opened a little bit to what's really going on in the, the big world that's around me. Expand my world a little bit. Let their world come into mine and let mine come into theirs. Let their world come into mine. Let the challenges that they're faced with on a daily basis come into my world. Let the things that they have to think about that are so much not a part of my life. Come into my world today so that I can see how big God is. How big God is. I want to see a big God. So let me be connected to a big need and a big ministry. Father, I just pray over them today. I just pray for the grace, the grace, the grace. Say to that mountain, grace, grace, grace. I just be grace to them today in Jesus' name. Amazing grace. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I just pray for, just like that That lake has begun to, the tide of that lake has begun to rise. I just declare the level of grace in their life will begin to rise to meet the flood. There's more grace. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. I declare grace over them today, over, them, over their family, over Adriana today. Father, we just... Andrea, I'm sorry, over Andrea today. Father, we just declare healing, grace over her today in Jesus' name. Complete healing, complete restoration. As they travel back home, Father, I just just pray another level of anointing, strength, and energy in Jesus' name. And Father, as we honor them today, with financial support, I speak blessing over your people today. As they make a connection to a world outside of their own. And i thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Come on, bring your seat today. And I want to remind you, next Sunday will be our first offering for Advance the Cause. I know many of you have already begun to sow on that. But we're believing to begin a debt retirement project. And next Sunday will be the first Sunday that we begin to receive the offering over the next 20 months we're going to pray this pay this property off this building this facility so that so that we can believe god to pay this property off so that we can believe god to begin the next phase of this ministry of this property and of this house in jesus name so i want to thank you once again one more time put your hands together Pastor Jamie and Leah today. Father, we just bless Burundi today, Malawi. Wow, it's to a tough place. Tough people go to tough places. You're tougher than you think. Amen. You're tougher than you think. And I just declare the blessings of the Lord over you. Remember Tuesday night prayer. Tuesday night prayer, I really want to encourage you to become a part of that if you're not already. So, But I want to bless you today before you leave. Father, I just bless your people. I speak a blessing over them today. Oh, I just speak a blessing today of faith. I speak a blessing today. Pray for them that their eyes be opened to see how big their God is this week. You have a big God. You have a big God in Jesus' name. He is more than enough. So, Father, as your people go today, I declare health and life. I declare the blood of Jesus over them today. Oh, hallelujah. I declare the blood over them today. Give your angels charge over them as they travel, over our pastors as they travel home today, over our church that's been away for this wedding. We just speak. Your angels over them today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.